0: Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Jamie Costello, my guest today, knew that she was different by the time she turned four. Well, we're going to talk a lot about that, but first, a little background. She was born and reared on the south side of Philly, where Jamie received her associate's degree in fashion design from the Art Institute of Philadelphia. Prior to moving to New York, Jamie worked at Neiman Marcus and at Nordstrom, but it was at Saks Fifth Avenue in New York mm-hmm. City where she received her most formative training. While there, Jamie was hand-appointed as the sales ambassador for Elizabeth and James, founded and operated by Barry Kate and Ashley Olsen. I am sure everybody knows who they are. In addition, she helped with launching Rachel Zoe's fashion line in 2012. Jamie has also had the distinct honor of meeting some of the most coveted fashion designers in the game, including Brian Atwood and Nicholas Kirkwood. In her spare time, Jamie is focused on fine-tuning her upcoming shoe collection while simultaneously working on her certification as a real estate agent in the New York tri-state area. So you got a lot on your plate, and I guess we could call you fairly eclectic. So Jamie, welcome and thanks for joining me today. Thank you
1: so much for having me.
0: All right, Jamie, Yes, I don't want to tease. I want to just talk about your growing up in Philadelphia. And clearly, at the age of four, something fairly seminal happened in your life. So let's go there first.
1: Well, I knew who I was at a very early age. I just knew I was different, and I knew that it was something that I really couldn't share.
0: But you were not born Jamie
1: Costello. I was not. I had to become Jamie Costello. Um, She has always been an extension of me and um, I guess my life journey was to become her but I knew that very early on and it's something you can't really explain you don't know really what's going on you just know that you're not a regular boy or girl like you know at four you know, I'm playing with toys, but then I'm also feeling different. I'm feeling, you know, when they give you toys, they're giving you uh, trucks and trucks, guns and cars and, and all yeah. that stuff. And I'm like, I am not connected to this. And I had an older sister and I would start to play with her Barbie dolls mm-hmm. instead of playing with the toys. And so you play with Barbie and not Ken? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Ken was cute, but... <laughs> <laughs> what, was, just, what, yeah. was, what was your name? Uh, okay. Um, I was born James. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to become um, Jamie. Yeah. All right. So... This is just, you know,
0: jumping back and forth. Mm -hmm. So at four, Mm -hmm. the trucks and the typical, you know, stereotypical male stuff didn't really mean anything to you or interest you. It
1: really didn't. And that was a problem Mm -hmm. for my parents. And then that started, I want to say they started policing my behavior, I guess, Mm. when they started to see Um, what was going on but it was very apparent like I've I've never been a super masculine person I was always very very feminine and Mm -hmm. the older I got the more prevalent it became Mm. and that definitely caused issues with me and you know my parents primarily like my father but yeah first of all how old are you I am a young budding 30 something
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's for just in terms of context yeah I would have to assume that back in that day yes you would be kind of considered an anomaly because that wasn't um let
1: me Leah. let me walk you down this road so the whole inclusion thing is like a a new thing which i which i love and i love um how the world is changing however you have to think about it i'm an 80s baby um my mom and dad are 70s 80s babies and then their parents were like you know i guess 50s 60s and so forth and so on and so Think about my dad's father, um, God rest his soul. Um, He's a pastor, an apostolic preacher um, whose roots are in the deep south. So you're thinking about segregation. You're thinking about coming out of all of that and what he's learned. And it's super masculine, like the over masculine guy. So it's like being raised up in that. And then my dad's a minister in um, our church and my Mm -hmm. mom's an evangelist that this was the furthest thing. Like, this was, like, the ultimate, like, no. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know— Did they think, even know what—forget N-O. Did they,
0: K-N-O-W, know what this was? I think they they knew. Because it wasn't my, my, that ubiquitous back in, it in the It wasn't, day, right? but— Nobody really was, talked about this very much.
1: But, yeah, they did, because my grandfather, um, part of his ministry— you know, apostolic is very strict, very, um, very much like Bible. And so homose- literally, yeah, literally mean. like, yeah, homosexuality and men doing anything that reflected femininity was a complete no, no. It was like the ultimate sin. And mm-hmm. so you got to think about it like my whole life was centered around church, maybe like three times a week. Wow. And so hearing a ministry saying what you're doing is wrong and, you know, homosexuality or just anything remotely close to that mm. is a super no, no. So it's like my dad is seeing that and they're seeing that you know, I'm coming up and I'm super feminine. It That was like the ultimate no. So that caused a lot of division, a, a lot of... Did you like to dress in your sister's clothing or um, your mom's clothing? Yes. I used to like sneak and like wear her shoes around the house. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, but I, the funny thing is, but I knew I couldn't say anything. Like that innately, like you knew, like, if I do this, I'm going to get in trouble. But mm. it was a big deal for me to connect to a woman, because I had all this masculine stuff. Like, I didn't want to wear a suit to church. Like, I hated it. Mm. But I loved how my sister could dress. She had, like, the pretty socks and the dresses. And I'm just like, very early on, I was just like, I wish that was me. I, like, I, I feel more connected to that. Like, this isn't me. Like, I don't I don't like this.
0: How did that carry over to going to elementary school? On one level, even though you might not have felt super safe at home, mm-hmm. you had
1: to feel even more and I use the German quotes, threatened going to school. I truly believe God doesn't make a mistake at all. And I think I had to be very mentally strong at a very early age. And so, I don't know. In the beginning, I was withdrawn, but I was always, like, I love people. I like being around people. So whenever I could leave, I was never a child that didn't want to, like, you You know. solitary. Yeah, like, you know, kids are like, oh, no, I want to stay with my mom. Like, no, I loved going to school because I liked being around different people. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, growing up in Philadelphia around that time period, You had a lot of people say, oh, you act like a girl like that. I would hear that all the time. And I'm Mm -hmm. just like, well, I'm just being myself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously I would was more connected to hanging out with girls. And that would be like my safe space because no one was policing my behavior. It was just like, "Okay, I can be with the girls. You mean during the school during the school days? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it was like that was like my freedom. I could like really just be myself. I understand. Yeah. Uh Have fun. But even my teachers were like, sit up straight. You can't do like it was a constant
0: Right. So it wasn't that it was you were you found a complete safe haven because, I mean, maybe during recess, like honestly,
1: like like recess, like recess or lunch. Like those were like my free spaces to like really just be myself. Mm -hmm. And like I I loved it. Like I, I always liked being outside of the house. And that's partly why I guess I don't mind being by myself a lot because like I had to be like my own best friend in a sense. I can't imagine what that must be like for someone
0: so young yeah. to navigate through life or am I am I not assessing your situation correctly No, thank you.
1: I think you definitely hit it right on the nose. It's like um some people succumb to it. Like that's why the suicide rate is so high with transgender women or um just in our um the LGBTQ um I guess realm, but I don't know. Honestly, I would have to equate it to God in my faith, honestly. Like, even though— In spite of all In spite of how, all of that. The rigidity of your faith? Uh-huh. Because I knew very early on that there's something that's propelling me. Like, I can't do this on my own. Like, I can't mentally go through all this and still be sane mm-hmm. and sit here and have these conversations with you and just be normal. Like, and a lot of time, I feel like that's my mission in life is to step into who I am and, you know, show the world, like, we're normal. Like, we're, we're, we're just like you, like you, mm-hmm. like anybody else. We're just trying to figure it out. We're trying to live our best life and, you know, and just live our lives. At
0: some point, things have to turn where your safety factor, even at school, mm-hmm. doesn't feel like that much of a sanctuary
1: yeah I want to say after elementary middle school um, thank God I'm a Libra so obviously we're social butterflies I don't I guess I could say I'm very charming I would say (laughs) I I don't disagree yeah I'm very charming so it's like um, if you I feel like school is like definitely a social experiment and if you can um, navigate navigate that I think you'll be good in life honestly like and so I had to navigate I had to use my strong points I was very creative I was always super funny and so I had to I had to get like my girl I would find like you know whoever the cool girl was in school and we would just connect and that was probably like my safety net like I knew if I can connect with someone that had influence and that was cool and if I was friends with them that would lessen my chances of being bullied and stuff like that but also you have to um I had to create like a fake facade for myself and was like you know like I don't care. Like, I'm all that. I'm, You know, you have to say to yourself, like, I'm the shit. I'm the, Like, you have to literally say that every day mm-hmm. to get through the day. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, because, you know, in middle school, you're thinking about you're dealing with little boys and girls. They're going through their own stuff and, you know, at home and then they're bringing it to school. So they're looking for someone maybe to take that out on. And thank God, like, I wasn't bullied a lot. I mean, obviously, they would say, you know, like, back in the day, it was definitely like it was like faggot. You know, and you're acting like a girl. Yeah, you're right? acting like a girl. Like you know, like it was a lot of threatening, like going on. Like it 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 was, it was scary, but it was like it was also my reality. So it was like you had to own it. I had to own it. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, I definitely had to own it. That, oh,
0: that's easier said than done. It is I'm...
1: because you're an easy target. It's like okay, that's the boy that. Acts
0: well, how the much goal. did you know? How much did wh- what? What did you know about homosexuality?
1: All then? I knew is that I deeply, I felt deeply connected to. Uh, whenever I would see someone, I would always know like. They were gay and i was deeply connected to them but also i had this voice in the back of my head because my religion was so like prevalent in my life yeah you're gonna you're gonna hell you can't do that you know you're gonna die of aids like everything like anything negative like you can think of that was what screwed to me or anyone that acts feminine when when we went to church it was like three other kids in church who you could tell was different I would say like every other Sunday, there would be like a call to like the altar and it would be like, you know, come up, you know, if you're battling homosexuality, like this is like what they're saying. And so now you're being put on display yeah. and you're going to the front and they're praying for you. And in high insight, like I get it, like they quote unquote was protecting us, but also it was, I think it was also harming us because it's the, the one thing that you tell them not to do, you're going to want to do it.
0: Well, it's out of it's, it's out, out of my hands. it's out of my
1: hands. It was like I never was attracted to women like never. I find them beautiful. I love women. Like I can be around a beautiful all day, a beautiful woman all day long. But sexually, I was never attracted to women. And so, yeah, it was it was really difficult. It was really difficult. But something internally was just like, you're fine. And I had to develop early, very early on. I had to realize religion and spirit and spirituality. And I had to know, like, this is my walk with God None of you know what I'm going through. None of you can ever tell me, can walk a mile in my shoes. You can't tell me that, you weren't born that way. And that's what they would say you like it's a choice. And I was like, well, it's not a choice. You didn't choose to be a heterosexual. You just you just are. Mm. You can't tell someone that you can change from that when you haven't changed you did haven't had to change from being straight.
0: I'm trying to wrap my head around the conflict, for example, mm-hmm. of you saying that you're called to the altar to pray for your soul, if, yeah. you know, if you're so conflicted, you have that over here. Mhm. Then you have this in the middle of being public in church, you yeah. know, doing that. And then over here, mm-hmm. you have your family, meaning mm-hmm. your parents, mm-hmm. who are preaching the
1: gospel. Yeah.
0: I don't know how you juggle those balls. That just screams conflict
1: to me. When you're in it, it's your life. So it's like there's no other way to deal with it other than to step into it. And But it's so freaking public. I'd, and that's the thing I, I always tell people, you know, I think— I always envied people who were gay and that could teeter between you not knowing or not. Like I I kinda, you know, you have men who are gay yeah, men but you will never be able to tell uh-huh. with me that was not the case you knew me from a mile away like I couldn't hide who I was and it right. wasn't me like over exaggerating anything it was just simply me being me just the way I held my hand the way I moved the way I spoke and mm-hmm. I have people telling you straighten up you can't do that my, gr- my uncle would say this thing go rough and tough you know mm-hmm. if he would see me like doing something rough and tough ironically enough my uncle was very very gentle with me um, I was talking about this to my cousin, who's my best friend, Anthony. I love you, if you're mm-hmm. listening. <laughs> and he was kind of going through the same thing, but I never knew because my cousin, to me, he looked straight. For whatever reason, he wasn't macho enough for my uncle. And so my uncle, we, we were talking about exchanging stories the other day, and my uncle was really hard on him. I mean, like... I, I don't want to speak for him, but it was rough. It was really rough for him. Mm-hmm. Like you telling him, you know, your man's trying to, mm-hmm. your dad's trying to rough you up to mm-hmm. make you more masculine. But my uncle was always super gentle with me. But my dad was super rough with me and gentle to my cousin. It was the, and we talked about it and we laughed yeah. about it, but it was so, wow. it was weird. Yeah, isn't it was crazy? crazy. So you get to high school.
0: Now that <sighs> really must have been
1: intense. Yes, so high school, honestly, um, high school was where it all kind of came together for me, and I really kind of, I was figuring out who I was, and I, I knew what lane I was going to be in. I didn't know I was going to transition yet, but I did. Knew you know who
0: what that word meant? Transition. Yes.
1: Yeah, I okay. knew what it meant. I mean, how did you know? Um, so at 14, like the summer before I went to. Um, um, high school my best friend at the time his name was eric um there was this thing called like the party line so you get on the well party eric line. a boy was your
0: best yeah friend. he was
1: a boy and he was gay he was out he was free okay um he was a little bit more free than me like his mom really wasn't accepting him but he was still free to do what he wanted to do
0: i want to ask you something before yeah. you get into that mm-hmm I'm just curious about diversity in general where we mm-hmm. went to school. Were there blacks, whites? Yes. Asians, so this was,
1: you know? Yes. When we were younger, elementary school, um, we were in North Philly, and that was predominantly a black neighborhood. Okay. And then we were moved to the Northeast because at this point my mom started making more money and she wanted to get us out of, because this was like the, I guess, the middle of the crack era in Philadelphia. So you would walk outside and there would be crack valves or whatever on the ground. And my mom was like, I got to get my kids out of this. So she moved us up to the Northeast. The Northeast is where, like, I really felt free and I realized it was a big world outside of black, just black people or white people. Yes. Because when we moved to the Northeast, it was white, Cambodian, Japanese, Asian, Chinese, Jamaican. Like, it was this big hodgepodge of people. And I was like, wow. Like, and I, I started learning about different cultures. Then I realized everyone isn't Chinese. Yes. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's different, <laughs> there's different people in the world. And I was like, I was fascinated by it. I was like, oh my God, like there's so much to learn. And so when we moved to the Northeast, um, I got my first taste of, of meeting all these different, these blend of cultures. And so I, um, so going back to Eric, Eric had way more freedom than I had. So I would sneak out of my house at 14 and like it was a popular street in Philadelphia called 13th Street. And that's where all the gays would congregate, almost just like Christopher Street here in New York. 13th Street was the hub for all things trans, gay, LGBTQ. It was just that was 13th Street. That's where you went. And it was almost like a safe space because There you saw people looking just like you. So I would sneak out of my house like late at night. Thank God. They never caught me, but (laughs) I would sneak out. They were deep sleeping. They were deep sleeping. Yes. So um, I would sneak out and I would see all these people. And in the summertime, I would go downtown because that's where during the daytime, like that's where everyone was. And I remember the first trans woman I ever saw. I was just enamored by her beauty. Her name was Angel Revlon. And this was the first time I ever saw a trans woman. And when I, she was just beautiful. Like, I mean, just, I can't even discuss. She was just beautiful. And I didn't know. And someone told me like, oh, she's trans. And I'm like, no way. So that's when it clicked. Like, oh, this can happen. Like, I can like, you, I can look like that. And that is when it kind of like changed. Like, that was the summer before I went to high school. Um, but I'm, I'm still not thinking of transitioning at this point. I get to high school and it was my first year was really rough. Like I tried to blend in with them. At this point, my cousin was very well dressed and he always taught me the importance of of dressing up. So at this point, he was giving me like his hand-me-downs and I was wearing like these boy clothes, obviously very stylish, but it still wasn't me and so they read through me like no other they were like you know fa- everything fact yeah. I got spat at once it didn't hit me but somebody spat at me once and it was it was kind of rough that first year and then I was like okay I gotta do something and I don't know what it was between my cousin talking to me and he really taught me the importance of fashion and this is why I love fashion it was my freedom dressing well for whatever reason, changed everything and it sounds so vain and so stupid like when i think about it it sounds stupid but no it literally saved my life and i'm going to tell you why i started designing clothes um around like 10th grade and at this point like everybody's like oh you know the boys are like really mean to me but the girls are like my safe haven and this is why i've always had a really deep connection with women because you know they were just women kind of just saved my life well they also didn't feel threatened by and they didn't feel threatened by me as well so then What happened was I was like, you know, I can't do this anymore. Like, I got into some fashion magazines. I used, I stole all of my aunt's Vogue magazines from the 90s and like early 2000s. I stole all her Vogue magazines and I started flipping through them and I started looking at the clothing and I was like, you know what? Like, I'm more connected to this. I'm going to dress the way I want and I'm just going to own it. And what I did, I started wearing things that complimented my body. My clothes were tight. I didn't wear a book bag. I wore a saddle bag or like um, a messenger bag. Like I wanted to be completely different from everyone else. And in the beginning, it was like, the guys were like, you're tight clothes. But then you had other guys like, yo, I like yo, you're different. Like I like the way you dress. Like, and then I started designing clothes. And so at this point, that saved my life. Designing clothes saved my entire life. I started designing all the um the senior kids' prom dresses. Oh my God. And that switched everything. So So once, that gave you I mean That gave me my elevated. path. I was yeah. elevated. I wasn't like the other gays in school. Like they were still being bullied and getting into fights and all types of things. But me, I literally had to step into who I was and said, fuck this. I'm gonna live my life. I'm just gonna be me. And Uh I'm going to do it. And I'm like nervous, but still like I'm holding my head high and I'm just going to just do me and I'm going to be fabulous. And that clicked. And I lived my life like that every day after. And yeah, it yeah, it was a game changer. Yeah. okay, but what happened at home? Oh, funny. I had to sneak and dress that way because my dad was like super like, what are you doing? Like, why are you ripping your jeans? Why are your clothes so tight? Like it was it was a struggle. Um, my dad would threaten to kick me out like all the time. You know, he would he would say like, oh, he, like he has to go. He can't be here. And that caused turmoil with my mom and dad. But my mom innately, you know, a mother's love is unwavering. And she, you know, they would get into, you know, like not fight fights, but like he would say things and my mom would be like, well, my child isn't going anywhere. I don't know what to tell you. So she would whisper to me and be like, I don't know what he's talking about. Like this my house, like I don't know where he, he goes. That's what she would say. And so I knew and at the end of the day, I knew my mom was conflicted, but I knew she had my back. I knew my mom would like never leave my side. And um, so, yeah, that it could just cause a lot of turmoil. My dad was like, now we're, we're way better now. Well, but, it's been a long time. He has a choice. Either he accepts you or he doesn't. And I commend him because honestly, me transitioning at this point, like he's so different from who he used to be, like in the best possible way. He's so gentle. He's so sweet. But I think life kind of like, I don't know. I think life caught up with him, and he realized being being that that way towards me kept me away, and like I, I stayed away. Like you know, once I graduated, went to college. And but you went to college in Philly. I did, but um, I went to on a campus that was. You lived on campus. I wanted to get away. I mm-hmm. put myself through school. I mm-hmm. got a I got a, a scholarship to the art institute for um oh my for designing. Gosh. Like I knew, like then, like I had to make it happen for myself. I couldn't depend. You on, had there was no advocate. There for There was you. no advocate for me. Like I had to do it from. I mean, obviously, my mom would like do things here and there, but I knew I had to be smart and I had to think and like figure it out. So I'm like, okay, no one's really going to give me money to get to school. So let me get this. Let me try to figure this out. Let me get a um a scholarship, and I won the scholarship. The funny thing is, at the senior year... Of high school? But, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like... I, I remember this to this day because I was so nervous. Like, I was like, oh, my God. When they called my name to receive my diploma, I was so nervous because I'm like, oh, my God. They're going to boo me. Like, what's going to happen? And the craziest thing happened. Like, this is how I knew. Like, I was affirmed. Like, okay. Like, okay. Like, life is good. Like, when I say... When they called my name to get my diploma, everybody yelled. Everybody. Like, even the boys. Like, and it was just like... Okay, you gotta be yourself. Mm-hmm. You can't. and like that's when it, it kind of just clicked to me. I stepped into that, so at that point, were you still james i was I was still James at that point. and then when I went to school, I met my best friend in college, her name's Parish, and I met her. and then you know she was all she was so feminine and so pretty as a as a boy. Oh wait, Parish was my best friend who was what gender? Um, she was male at that point. We both were very androgynous males at that point. Okay, Super feminine, super like cutesy high okay. clothes. I met her and she always was like super feminine. And so I was like, you know what? James is not suiting me. Like I hate, sorry that <laughs> I just don't like this name. I don't identify with this. I used to cringe when people would call my name. Like I hated it. I was like, this is not me. So I, um, I transformed into Jamie and I started going by Jamie. And that's when it kind of just stuck and everybody just started calling me Jamie.
0: So dressing... And feminine clothes is one thing. Yeah. Who was there to help you really, is the word really maneuver um, and and really make that transition?
1: Yeah. It's still not clicking to me that I wanted to transition because I saw what being transgender at the time would, what they, the I guess, what you could succumb to. I guess the gold standard in transitioning is um, you obviously like escorting and then meeting like, I guess, a sugar daddy at that point, and then him whisking you away and you living this grand life. Because let's think about it, late 90s, early 2000s, there was still a lot of discrimination against trans women. So none well, of them really had jobs.
0: Yeah, today there is also.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, but even more prevalent, you know, they had to figure it out. And they, I honestly, they are the ultimate hustlers. Like, they, they figure it out. And so looking at their, um, their disparity, I'm just like, okay, I don't want to do that. I'm not even thinking about transitioning. I just want to be pretty. So the clothing for me was like my segue. Like it's, it's steps. You start with like dressing super feminine and then you get after a while that's not working anymore. So you start to like, you know, like you start to change your face and, you know, do the makeup thing and that wasn't working. And then like after you step into that, it's like an emptiness you start to feel after a while. And I started to feel empty in college. I was dating someone and, um, I, I loved him a lot, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you're looking at your body, and you take your clothes off, and you're like, okay, like, I don't have this, like, like nice derriere, my skin isn't smooth as women, like, I used to just look at women and be like, oh, my god, she's glowing, she's, mm. she's so pretty, mm-hmm. and J-Lo at the time was, like, my idol of life, so I wanted to be her, and I was just like, I don't know why, I was just like, she was just so feminine, she, you know, like, she owned it, and I just, like, I love that, I love the glamour, I love the way she looked, and after a while, you're sitting there, and you're like, I can't do this anymore. Like I remember one day I was sitting in a car and I was making, I was working at Nordstrom's at that time in Philadelphia and I was making so much money. I was making more money than my mom and dad at that point. Like, so I bought my own car, you know, like just you know, going on trips and what, how did what's you what's dress to go to work? Very androgynous, and that was an issue too. I remember them trying to police me about because I would who, wear Nordstroms, like Long my head. manager, in a way because I would wear heels with my flared pants. Mm-hmm. And you have this guy walking through the mall in like flared pants, like obviously you're eccentric, and you, know, you get a lot of <laughs> yeah. attention. Uh-huh. <laughs> you get a lot of attention but most of it was good attention because honestly that's how i got like a lot of my clients just being who i was and so i remember being able to buy whatever i want go wherever i want and there was still an emptiness i just was sitting in the car and i just like bust out crying i was just like why do i feel so empty like i just like what's missing like outside of navigating love and being in like a loving relationship i was just like i just don't feel right and so um fast forward to move into New York. I didn't start um, transitioning until 2013. I was working at sex and doing well, uh, making lots of money. I was still very androgynous, but at this point, like I'm growing out my hair. So this is another step because before I would never, I would never like grow my hair. So now I'm growing my hair. And I met a really beautiful, um, really nice um, trans woman who worked for Bond Number 9 in the cosmetic section that I would walk through all the time. And one day she stopped me and she said, come here. I said, hey, yeah, hey, like, what's going on? She's like, so what are you waiting for? And I'm just like, what are you talking about? She's like, when are you going to do it? Like, I see it, honey. I'm telling you, you need to transition. You know, it's going to change your life. What are you scared about? And I was just telling her, like, all my, like, why I was so scared. I was just like, you know, they never, their quality of life is really hard. Like, I don't, I don't see my life taking off or like me being successful being trans, and she's just like, listen, honey. She's like, you're in New York. She's like, you can do anything. You can be anyone. She was just like, you need to transition. She's like, I see this for you. Like, "Are you? And then she gave me the number, and she said, when you're ready. She's like, this is where you go. And um, it's Colin Lord, which is my hospital, my where I go t- to this day. Colin Lord changed my life, like, forever. I was so nervous. And at that point, I had a best friend at that time who wasn't really... You also had discrimination in the gay community, too. Gay men who don't like trans women or want to hang out with them because mm-hmm. whatever, they have their thing, whatever, whatever they issues, like about yeah. them. Yeah, mm-hmm. their issues with it. And so I remember not being able to, like, tell, like, my best friend at the time because I knew it was going to be an issue. And it was like, you know, no one wants to, you know, hang, like, be around. I remember this conversation, too. Like, no one wants to be around, like, trans, like, trans women. Like, it Like, like, I wouldn't hang out with a trans. Like, it was that. And you had people telling you, oh, you're not going to look good as a girl. Blah, 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 blah. So you have all this stuff in the back of your mind. But then you have this longing of, like, I don't care what they're saying. Like, I feel empty. I have to. To make myself happy, like, and so it was 2013. It was the winter time, like February, and I was super nervous. But I remember walking to Colin Lord by myself and was like, you know what, I gotta do this. I was so nervous, but I went. I made my appointment and um, I met my doctor and she started me on my on hormones. On hormones. Colin Lord, it's like our saving grace. Like it's for LGBTQ. Um, it's like a a hospital for us, I guess. That's if you're I'm in saying. the community, then you know about it. Like, if anybody in New York that is gay, you have heard of Colin Lord. Got it. Yeah, okay. like, it's it's a big to-do. But most trans women go to Colin Lord because they start you on hormones, and they give you a wealth of knowledge. They help you change your name. They can help you with surgery. It's an amazing place.
0: So you start this
1: next part of your journey. I start the next part of my journey. And you start to take hormones. Yeah, yeah. How are you feeling about that? Okay. So take it back to this is I'm still working at SACS at this point. So most trans women, when they're ready to transition, you you go to exile. Like you disappear, you get on your hormones, and then you reemerge as this as this butterfly. So you kinda go
0: underground. And you go underground.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. I did not have that opportunity because I've always had a job so I've lived my life as first gay male then androgynous then I'm transitioning into a woman so I've done this publicly mm-hmm. that's not common okay at all but this is my path like this is what I know this is what this is my life and that's what I have to do so I'm transitioning and um at first, I started on pills, um, and you don't really notice anything. So you're like, "Oh my god, is this working? Like, what, like what the hell? <laughs> right, like, it's taking right. forever." Like, and then all of a sudden, your nipples are starting to hurt. You're starting to, like bud. Your skin is changing. You're glowing. You're getting a lot more attention. And I've, I've, I would like to think I am attractive. So before, like, you know, I would meet guys, and you know, easily. Eat. No, not in the very beginning. Like when I was a boy, like, you know, you met guys here and there. But then when you When, when the pills start to like take in, kick in, I don't know if it's the uh, pheromones or whatever, like you just, guys are like enamored with you. And that started to change. I started getting a lot more attention. My skin is like changing. I'm getting softer. I'm filling out in certain areas. I'm gaining more weight. Your face is becoming more full. You're looking more like a woman. And it's like a, um, it's like a reaffirming feeling. Like you start to feel really good, like really confident, like there's a, it's just a different version of you. Like, and your confident level goes up. I became more vocal. I don't know. Like my whole like I'm still myself, but I felt more empowered. Kind of empowered, yeah. I felt more of myself, like more than ever. And I'm like, oh, like it's clicking. Like this is this is who I am. Like like for for whatever it is, for whatever's worth. Like this is who I am. I feel more comfortable around people. Mm. I can speak to people like, you know, I have a conversation and not feel really shy. Like, I just felt like this is who I want to present to the world. Like this, this is how I can make my dreams come true if I'm 100 percent myself.
0: And so how long did that process take you or are you still undergoing?
1: So hormones are a lifelong thing. Okay. Um, you can go on and off though, uh-huh. but I would say to maintain your look, <laughs> the girls and anyone who is trans listening to this, you know, we call it being juicy, and so you <laughs> to keep to keep your juiciness, <laughs> you need to keep taking your hormones. Some girl and everybody's body's different. Some girls don't need as much, and other girls need a lot. So it just depends on what um, regimen your doctor has you on, mm-hmm. and so like it's a lifelong commitment, but it becomes second nature. It's just like you take a couple pills and you walk out the door, or you take the hormone shots biweekly. And, you know, you're just going about your business.
0: Let's go back home. Mm -hmm. How did this play?
1: So at this point, I am living my life in New York. And New York puts you in, like, this bubble because it's like— You're safe. I'm safe. I'm free. I can be myself but then to go home it's like as Jamie as yes so going home is Jamie like I would hide it at this point'm I don't have the super long hair obviously I'm wearing makeup and I'm way more feminine but I'm not showing. but you're not dressed. showing. oh you, you don't can't see yeah you can't see it because okay. I, I know how to dress at this okay. point so I can hide it so my mom is still calling me by my birth name and I don't really see my dad because we don't we're not really you know, we don't have a connection at that point. And so that's tough because when you, go, when you go back home, obviously you want to see your family. You want to be around them. But there is this, like, wall up that you feel. And I almost, like, revert back to a child. And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't like—I feel really uncomfortable. And even still to this day, it's like— you know, it's gotten better, but it's almost like anxiety kicks in because it's like I I don't feel 100 percent comfortable and I don't want to parade my life in front of you because I know how you feel. Because I respect I try to respect people and I respect my parents and I understand their views. However, I don't want to, like, I guess, doll myself down to make them feel better because then it makes me. It, well, you're not being true to yourself. Exactly. And you're affirming to them like you're wrong. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. no, I'm going to go as myself. Yeah. And. I'm not going to flaunt it but I am just going to be uniquely myself. Yeah, still to this day there, there there's some discomfort when I go but I'm still navigating that and um trying to we're still working at it honestly like I mean they're way it's way better now my parents god bless them because I know it's not easy even like my sister just graduated and I went to her graduation and she wanted me there so I went to her graduation for college graduation for, yeah, yeah and I'm there with her and I dressed her for for, for everything like you know we're having like our gr- so me and my sister like we're like totally like like girls like you know mm-hmm. like getting each other dressed up getting our makeup done mm-hmm. and it's like so it's like it's like like second nature. It's so us. easy, yeah. It's so easy. But then when you get around, like my parents and, and her sister and her brother and, you know, all of my um, and and immediate family, they're trying to be inclusive. But you still know that in the back of, of their mind, like, like what? Like, oh, my God. Like, right. oh, my God. Well, that, I whatever. think you're going to have that the rest of your life. Yeah. Whether so it's, it's like, relatives or not. You exactly. Know. So it's still a level of discomfort. So it's like I'm like itching to leave. So as soon as like I can only be in Philadelphia for like. 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, okay, I, I have to get out of here. Like, I mm-hmm. got to go. So when I get back to New York, I'm back to feeling free again. And this is why, like, I can never, I, I almost, like, feel like I can't leave New York. Mm-hmm. And if I leave New York, either I'm going, like, to Europe or, like, L.A. But other than that, like, I like New York is my safe space. I totally understand that.
0: I want to know if you've also been able to share your story with other younger people that's what you didn't have in your life
1: I don't know for me like I just feel like it's just my life I don't feel like I've done anything like, super grand. Really? Like, I feel like, because it's always, like, it's always, I felt like I'm always reaching for something and trying to get somewhere, like, or trying to create something and become this woman that I've, I've had in my But you could be
0: head. so empowering, Jamie. And I don't mean that you have to go out on, on tour yeah. or whatever. Listen to your story, I you know, know? You know,
1: you don't think you have a story until you actually talk about it. Does and this
0: surprise you? It does. What you're doing right here and yeah, now? Yeah, it
1: kind of does because I don't see my story being that interesting because it's just me I understand like I'm, I'm just living my life and I'm trying to like I'm getting through it but I can see how it can be very empowering so no I, I haven't been on any like super like big platforms like it's sharing my story but I feel like innately um a lot of us we have a lot of stories to tell and they're all very similar different casts, but same story different plot twists but we're all just trying to get there, mm-hmm. I'm trying to get to whatever goal that is. I just want to be safe. I want to feel loved, and I want to be successful. I don't think that's any any harm in it. Like that's my goal in life is to be successful in whatever field that I choose to flourish in. Um, well, are you still in the fashion business? You know what? I I got out of it. Yeah, I. I for me, um, I, I still love designing shoes, like, obviously. Um, yeah, so you, I mentioned that in the intro. Mm-hmm. That's something Like, I said, something at. I'm still working on. Like, it's really hard. And I know it's been going, people are like, oh, my God, this girl in the shoe line. But the difference with clothing and shoes is, like, it takes, it's more components building shoes, and it's way more expensive. And so clothing, you can just go to any manufacturer. You can go to China. You can go anywhere. Mm-hmm. and get clothes made. Shoes is completely different because you have to make sure they fit. It's it's you know like material all of those type of things and it's different components so it's way harder to like execute and so um, it's still I'm still very creative and I still love designing shoes like that's a big dream of mine and it's gonna to have a collection take off yeah I had a small very small collection um, that I that I did um, and I did a photo shoot with. But um, it's really important to me to not limit myself mm-hmm. and stay stifled in one thing. I feel like, you know, um, I'm multifaceted. Like, why not? So I love real estate. I've always been, like, deeply...
0: Oh, right. That. That you want to get your license. Well, uh-huh. I've,
1: yeah, I've already finished um, school. So, you know, just taking the test. And once that's done, you know, picking a broker brokerage to um, be a part of. But that's something that I definitely want to get into because I feel like as trans women, we have either... it's It's literally, it's either... Escorting, or either the entertainment business. You don't really see us in other realms. Like, you know, we have um, the Janet Mox, we have Laverne Cox, Leomi Bloom, and um, our new girl, um, India Moore, who's very beautiful. She's on the front of Elle right now. She's in pose. She's in pose, which... I mean that must be really huge. That that is about a a
0: wonderful FX series on transgender women, and so that really
1: I couldn't get you. I can't. It's amazing. Can't get through any episode without. Crying or either tearing up because it's so directly aligned with. Oh, they're talking to you with my life and others' life, or you know someone who went yes. through that. Like it's so connected and so important that I feel like everyone should see that show because that is definitely a glimpse into what we go through, like verbatim everything we go through. It's, it's yeah, it, it's it's a good show. I love that show.
0: Do you have a significant other in your life?
1: How can I answer that? Dating has been very tricky to navigate. Um, yeah, we can go on for hours about this because it's tricky um, dating trans because you have a lot of men who are trans attracted to you. and But society shames them about that. And that becomes difficult to navigate. So it's very underground. Especially with the, yeah, the African-American community. Like mm. it's crazy because I'll go on a date with a, a European male or um, a white male and they're a little bit more free. They don't. Have those like I like we'll go anywhere, and I've gone on a date with black men, but it's very seldom. You know, it doesn't matter how beautiful you are, it doesn't matter how passable you are. Once trans is in front and they identify you as trans, it 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 stifles the relationship. And so there's one guy who's been in my life for a very long time. Um, we're deeply connected. We are not together, but um he's played a very intricate role in this because he's been. With, there's a couple guys, but there's one guy in particular who's been by my side and seen me through this transition and who was with me when I wasn't so, I guess, pretty mm-hmm. or wasn't so pulled together. Because mm-hmm. Now I'm, I'm really... people standard Yeah, to a lot of people's standards, they consider me like very pulled together. I still feel like I'm reaching, but people see me as like, oh, like, she, you know, this mm-hmm. beautiful woman. And so he's been with me through my transition and there's, there's this really strong bond that we have. No matter what we go through, like we're still kind of connected to each other. But no, I am not with anyone right now.
0: You know, I wanted to ask another question yes. to the other struggle, because this was not so long ago that mm-hmm. um, African-American trans woman was murdered.
1: Living in New York, you live in a bubble. And I didn't realize until like a couple of weeks ago. I think I know which one, the young lady from Texas.
0: Yeah, I don't remember. It but... was a
1: young lady from Texas and there was another woman in Philadelphia that recently lost her life. Because we're we're seen as easy targets, and so for me, like I live in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I lived there since 2010. I'm walking out the house, and I'm just living my life, and I'm not thinking like, you know, what somebody really can harm you. Like, I I mean, because yes, I look like yes, I look like a female, but there are people, some people know, some people don't know that I'm trans and then there are other people that know, just, they just know that you are and so you literally are a walking target and to see that, like it kind of woke me up because I watched, I can only watch that, um, I watched when the young lady got attacked because they recorded it so now we live in the social media aspect where you would hear about it but now you're having a visual of what can happen and you know me, I'm just living my life and I'm like, now I'm scared, like now in the back of my mind I'm kind of scared to go to like, any big public places because now I'm like, oh my God, can somebody really attack me like that? Mm. Would, Would they be that mad? And that's a really big fear for me now. Like it really triggered something just to see her so helpless being beat on by a big six foot four man. I mean, a massive guy. And just to think that it was just, it was so, I don't know the backstory. I don't know what happened with that. All I know is the guy that is holding the camera is saying, I'll give you $200 to beat this person up. And this is their recording this. Yeah. So it's like to see so random, like in a quick moment, someone can identify you as trans and say, I want you to go harm that person. I'll give you... That is so scary. No kidding. And that kind of woke me up. So now I'm like... I'm, I have a fear now. I understand. And I didn't have that fear yeah. a couple years ago. Like, mm-hmm. I was just like, okay, I'm walking out the house. I'll go out at one o'clock in the morning, go get some ice cream because I'm hungry, and come back. Like, because, you know, New York spoils you that way. The bodegas are always open. So I'm like, oh my God, I'm hungry. And like, now I'm like, no, let me get my snacks now. And like, I'm not coming. Like, <laughs> it's changed. Yeah. yeah older. I'm getting, I'm being more cognizant of mm-hmm. like what's going on. It's like, I'm free, but I'm not that free. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, I think this was a fascinating, you were, so open oh. and honest and candid. And I hope you felt comfortable sharing your I life did. story because I, okay. I, I think that we need to know this and yeah. we need to meet women like you.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I was a little nervous in the beginning, but I don't know, just talking to you, I've, I've never been shy about kind of sharing my story. I just didn't.
0: It kind of came just out, did me. It? Yeah. yeah. It's,
1: like, I feel like I'm just me.
0: And you're in a good place now with family members. I am.
1: Mm, Do yeah. you think
0: they'll listen to this?
1: I think I'm gonna be nervous in the beginning, but I do want my mom to actually hear this because I feel like we talk Mm -hmm. but it's never really in depth. So to hear it so candid, it's a different see through my eyes. Yeah. It's a different dynamic. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, Jamie Costello, it has been truly my pleasure to have met and gotten to know you. And I so appreciate your honesty and your openness. And I just wish you happiness. Thank you so much. In your life. Thank you. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.